Welcome, folks, to another insightful episode of our award-winning podcast. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're diving into a fascinating study examining a subtle yet profound influence in Japanese education and society. The paper is titled Name Order and the Top Elite, Long-Term Effects of a Hidden Curriculum by Eiji Yamamura from Seinengakuin University. This research is significant because it explores how something as seemingly inconsequential as the order of surnames can impact one's opportunities and success in life, particularly in Japan. Before we delve into the nitty-gritty, let's talk about key concepts. The study addresses theories on socioeconomic status, the role of education, and how non-cognitive skills like confidence and social savvy are developed. One major concept is the hidden curriculum, a term referring to the unwritten, informal teaching in schools that impacts students beyond academic learning. As we unpack the study, we'll clarify any complex terms, like non-cognitive skills, which entail abilities not strictly academic but essential for life success, things like perseverance and teamwork. Now for the core of our discussion. The objective of the paper was to investigate if the alphabetical ordering of names affects long-term success, specifically among Japan's elite. Yamamura used a methodological approach that involved gathering and analyzing lists of notable figures from various professional fields. To the findings, Tom, they're quite surprising. The study revealed that people whose surnames start with an A were 20% more likely to be part of the ruling elite. However, this trend wasn't observed for the University of Tokyo's entrance exam pass rates, suggesting the surname effect kicks in post-university. Now, why is this important? The implications are profound. This study suggests that alphabetical order could inadvertently foster skills influential in later success among elites. As we apply these findings, we might ask, how does this affect policy, educational practices, and even societal attitudes towards fairness and opportunity? Wrapping up, the main takeaway is the importance of recognizing subtle factors, like name order, that can influence long-term outcomes. Despite being a meticulous investigation, this study raises more questions about equality in educational settings, name-based biases, and their role in shaping society. And personally, Tom, I find it illustrates the importance of looking beyond the obvious to understand societal dynamics. Absolutely, Jen. For such nuances, even in a system that prides itself on meritocracy, can have a ripple effect across generations. Well said, Tom. Until next time, listeners, keep questioning the hidden curriculums in your life. Are you tired of being last in everything just because of your last name? Then you need Alpha Name, the revolutionary service that catapults you to the top of the list. Forget being stuck behind the Smiths and the Jangs of the world. With Alpha Name, you're now an Aardvark, an Alto, an Amy's. Imagine the confidence boost when you're always the first name on the roll call, first for job interviews, first in line for promotions. Alpha Name isn't just for emails and sign-up sheets. It's a whole new identity, a VIP pass in the society of surnames. Our team of name strategists uses cutting-edge linguistic algorithms to craft the perfect A-name with just the right blend of uniqueness and pronounceability. And for those worried about legality, fear not. AlphaName handles all the paperwork to make your new moniker official, hassle-free. So don't wait. Be great. Visit AlphaName.com today and ascend to the apex of alphabetical acclaim. Your future awaits, Aardvark. AlphaName. It's all about the A-game.
Welcome to today's episode of our Deep Dive podcast, where we unravel the intricacies of groundbreaking research papers. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we've selected a paper that sits at the fascinating nexus of finance, artificial intelligence, and risk management. Absolutely, Jen. We're discussing the paper titled CVA Hedging by Risk-Averse Stochastic Horizon Reinforcement Learning, written by R. DeLuiso, M. Pinceroli, M. Tripletti, and Eva Torrey of IMI Corporate and Investment Banking. Before diving in, let's establish some context. In the world of finance, credit valuation adjustment, or CVA, is crucial. It's the estimated cost for the risk that a counterparty in a financial contract will default. Managing this risk is essential for financial institutions. Exactly. And traditionally, to mitigate this CVA risk, traders have used hedging strategies based on mathematical sensitivities. But these have lacked in certain areas due to market realities like bid-ask costs and the unpredictable nature of defaults. And that's why this paper is significant. It proposes a novel approach using advanced reinforcement learning techniques that account for these real-world challenges, which is a game-changer for financial institutions. The key concepts here, like reinforcement learning, risk aversion, and stochastic processes, are complex but essential to understanding the paper's contributions. We're looking at AI algorithms, learning over time, to make decisions under uncertainty and managing risk, not just for immediate rewards, but also over unpredictable time horizons. Right? The authors lean on a technique called stochastic horizon reinforcement learning, which allows for flexible decision-making even when the timing of events like defaults is unknown. Now, let's launch into the core of this paper. The main objective of the research is to enhance the hedging strategy for CVA. The team set up a simulated trading environment where an AI agent learns how to hedge optimally. They used a method called trust region volatility optimization, but with a twist. It's generalized to handle stochastic horizons, meaning it's designed to be effective even when the future is uncertain. Their key findings? This approach outperforms traditional delta hedging, especially when you consider transaction costs and the discontinuities of defaults. Moving to implications. If adopted, this strategy could massively improve the way financial institutions manage counterparty credit risk. The potential to reduce costs and improve risk profiles is quite significant. Absolutely. It signals a shift towards AI-driven financial strategies that are more resilient and adaptable to market conditions. As for conclusions, the evidence points to a big win for the use of AI in finance. It also lays the groundwork for future studies that could refine these strategies even further. We're truly at the edge of a new era in risk management. This paper doesn't just advance a single strategy. It encourages a rethinking of financial models under the lens of AI. It's a complex topic, but the potential benefits are clear and substantial. And personally, I find the combination of finance and AI both intriguing and full of possibilities. Absolutely. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Are you tired of the old razzle-dazzle of traditional financial risk management, leaving your portfolio feeling like a house of cards in a windstorm? Fear no more. Introducing Risk Be Gone, the AI-powered CVA hedging superhero that's taking the finance world by storm. Forget about those ancient delta hedging tactics that work as well as an umbrella in a hurricane. Risk Be Gone 
uses the cutting-edge stochastic horizon reinforcement learning. That's right, Tom. It's like having a psychic financial advisor who not only predicts market storms, but also builds you a bunker equipped with all the hedging tools you'll ever need. So say goodbye to sleepless nights worrying about counterparties defaulting. Risk Be Gone is like your loyal guard dog that barks at the slightest sniff of credit risk. Are transaction costs eating away your profits like a termite? Not anymore. Risk Be Gone is like pest control for unnecessary expenses. Risk management has never been this easy or this fun. With Risk Be Gone, you'll be dancing in the rain of market volatility with the biggest umbrella you've ever seen. So why wait? Join the revolution and make your portfolio risk tolerant today with Risk Be Gone, where we hedge your bets so you don't have to sweat the small stuff. Risk Be Gone is not responsible for uncontrollable dancing or excessive joy in financial stability. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode with your favorite hosts, Tom and Jen, here to unpack the dense and intricate world of scientific literature. Today we're diving into a paper that deals with a topic as perplexing as it is critical in our digital era, a paper titled Measures of Resilience to Cyber Contagion, an Axiomatic Approach for Complex Systems, authored by Gregor Svindland and Alexander Vos at Leibniz University Hanover, Germany. Published on December 22, 2023, this work introduces innovative measures designed to grasp and manage systemic risk in networks, particularly the kind that causes high-scale digital epidemics, akin to the notorious WannaCry ransomware attack. To help set the stage, let's talk about what systems we're looking at. We depend on an intricate web of critical infrastructures like energy grids and financial markets, not to mention digital systems like the internet itself. Now think of these as a bunch of interconnected points. A failure in one point can, thanks to this interconnectivity, trigger a domino effect that spells trouble for the entire system. This phenomenon is known as systemic risk, and it's a beast because interconnectedness, while necessary, is also a significant vulnerability. Right, Tom. And what makes this paper pivotal is its focus on systemic cyber risk, an understudied subset of systemic risk that comes from our digital interconnectivity. Given how catastrophic events like WannaCry and NotPetya were, assessing and managing this kind of risk is not a luxury, it's a necessity. To address this, the paper proposes something novel. Risk measures that don't simply look at the individual elements of a network or the money spent on cyber defenses, but instead target the network's topological structure. The big idea? If you can manipulate the network architecture, you might be able to enhance its resilience to these digital epidemics. This concept sees cyber risk not just as a problem of security levels or investment, but as a matter of structural design. Let's remember, our listeners might not be geeked out about complex system theories like we are. So when we say network topology, picture the layout of different elements in a network, like computers, servers, or routers, and how they're all connected. The intricacies of these connections can hugely impact how a contagion spreads. The paper's hot take is that perhaps the map itself can be redesigned to prevent disease spread, digitally speaking, of course. And they don't just propose this in theory. They offer a concrete method to assess risk through what they call admissible controls. These controls are manipulations of the network that aim to mitigate risk. Think of it like pruning a tree, cut off certain branches, 
and the whole thing's less likely to topple when the wind blows hard. On to the implications and applications. The researchers aren't just staring at cyberspace. Their insights stretch further, potentially influencing how we manage systemic risk in all sorts of complex systems. It's an intellect's playground, but also a pragmatic blueprint for regulators, insurers, risk managers to implement systemic cyber risk management using a topological lens. To round it up, we've got ourselves a profound piece of academic work that doesn't just contribute to the existing canon, but could redefine how we understand and approach systemic risk. It's not about the nodes or the amount of money thrown at a problem. It's about the delicate web that connects those nodes and how you can make it less likely to collapse under duress. It's about structure, connectivity, and the flow of potentially disastrous digital threats. And drawing parallels to biological epidemics, it's a refreshingly cross-disciplinary approach that might just change the game. We've introduced a stellar paper today, and in future episodes, we'll be dissecting these ideas to their very core. Stay tuned. Brushing off cyberbugs and securing your virtual vines, this is Tom. And I'm Jen, with an irresistible offer from the quirky minds behind the cyber-fortifying genius of Network Nannies. Picture this. You've got a digital playground where your data kids love to frolic. But oh no. Here come the cyber bullies, ready to push your precious ones into the malware mud. But wait, enter Network Nannies, with their digital pruning shears and high-tech thermometers ready to measure the health of your cyber greenery. That's right, Jen. At Network Nannies, they don't just slap on some digital band-aids. No, they'll inspect every inch of your network's cyber DNA and snip away the risky bits. Plus, for a limited time, they're offering their topology tune-up at half price. They'll twist, tweak, and tie your network into a resilient digital fortress that'll leave hackers scratching their heads. And the best part? They're no contagion, no pay guarantee. If a virus does slither through, you pay nada, zilch, zero. Network nannies, because who doesn't want a cyber Mary Poppins? So don't wait for the cyber flu season to hit. Call Network Nannies today and make sure your digital kids are playing in the safest yard on the block. Welcome to today's deep dive into a fascinating paper that's stirring up quite a bit of conversation in the world of finance. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we're unpacking the ins and outs of a research paper titled Market Adaptive Ratio for Portfolio Management by Ju Hong Lee, Bayart Setsekalina, and Kwang Tech Na from Inha University in South Korea. Absolutely, Jen. For our listeners who enjoy the nuances of investment strategies, this episode is going to be a treat. First off, let's provide some context as to why this paper could be significant. Well, in the realm of portfolio management, one core objective is to figure out how to allocate capital across different assets to either minimize risk, maximize profit, or find a balance between the two. In the pursuit of this goal, risk-adjusted returns are a go-to metric. That's right. These risk-adjusted returns come in various forms. There's the trainer, sharp, sortino, and information ratios, each helping investors to not chase after returns blindly, but consider the risk involvements. But here's the kicker. These traditional metrics, while useful, overlook a crucial aspect of market dynamics, the different conditions inherent in bear and bull markets. So true. A bear market is like winter for investments, characterized by falling prices and a need for caution. 
Conversely, a bull market represents a flourishing phase where prices are rising and investors are more willing to take risks for higher returns. Exactly. The authors of this paper argue that the one-size-fits-all approach of current risk-adjusted metrics doesn't cut it. It doesn't capture the full picture of investment performance within these varying market climates. That's why they're introducing a novel metric called the Market Adaptive Ratio, a tool designed to consider the unique characteristics of bear and bull markets, thus enabling investors to refine their strategies accordingly. Well, that brings us to a close on our introduction. Let's launch into the core of today's discussion, where we'll dissect the research paper's objectives, methods, key findings, and implications. Ready, Tom? Always ready. Let's start by exploring the paper's objectives. The primary aim here is to challenge existing risk-adjusted returns and propose a new metric that adapts to market changes, thus the name Market Adaptive Ratio. To develop this new ratio, the researchers had to first acknowledge that different market conditions require distinct strategies. Bull markets push for growth, while bear markets call for defense. The new ratio had to reflect these differing strategies to effectively measure portfolio performance. Moving on to methodology, the foundational concept that the authors introduce is something they term the row of the market portfolio. Right you are, Tom. They define row, represented as REM in the paper, as a measure that characterizes the type of market, bull or bear, based on the return of the market portfolio. It's a value that ranges between zero and two, depending on the market's positive or negative momentum. And with this row measure in hand, the authors went on to craft the market adaptive ratio formula. It adjusts the portfolio risk evaluation according to whether the market is bullish or bearish, represented mathematically as NP MP. Let's break down what this formula means. RP is the portfolio's expected return, RF is the risk-free rate of return, and ZZP is the standard deviation of the portfolio's excess returns. The unique twist is incorporating the RM, the row of the market portfolio, into the equation. This brought about the paper's key findings. The market adaptive ratio dynamically adjusts for market conditions, becoming more sensitive to risk during bear markets and allowing for greater risk tolerance during bull markets. So how does this impact the field? The potential implications are substantial. This new ratio could empower investors to make more informed decisions, aligning their strategies with current market dynamics for enhanced performance. Wrapping up, the main points discussed in today's episode shed light on this intriguing addition to portfolio risk assessment tools. The introduction of the market adaptive ratio challenges traditional static risk evaluation methods, proposing a dynamic alternative that accounts for the fluctuations inherent in the market. Personally, I find this paper to be a refreshing take on portfolio management. It's a tailored suit in a world of one-size-fits-all clothing. It represents a significant step towards a more nuanced understanding of risk and reward. I couldn't agree more, Jen. It reminds us that the field of finance, much like the markets it studies, is always evolving. By considering market conditions, this paper's contribution could very well lead to more robust investment strategies and resilient portfolios. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We hope this episode has provided you with some valuable insights into market adaptive ratio for portfolio management and its potential to change how we approach investment risk. Until next time, keep an eye on the markets and may your portfolios adapt and thrive. Goodbye.
Are you tired of your investment portfolio acting like it's stuck in a one-weather climate? Are you ready for an investing experience that adapts faster than your mood on a Monday morning? Introducing Weather the Market, the new investment tool that's blowing the bullhorn and hibernating the bear. With our revolutionary patented market adaptive ratio, your portfolio will be more in tune with market swings than a weather vane in a hurricane. Do you want to charge forward with the bulls? Weather the market gives your investing strategy the green light. Or maybe you're feeling a little more grisly. Our bear market mode doesn't just play defense. It builds a fortress around your assets, complete with bear traps and a moat. Hedge your bets against uncertainty and invest with the confidence of a groundhog on Groundhog Day. No shadows here, folks, just clear, adaptive investment skies. With Weather the Market, financial forecasts are so accurate, you'll swear we have a time machine. Disclaimer, we don't actually have a time machine, yet. So say goodbye to the old, rigid ratios, and hello to the flexible future of portfolio management with Weather the Market. We'll keep your assets, assets at hang, and your investments innovating. Because with Weather the Market, it's always the right climate to invest. Sign up today and receive a complimentary umbrella. You know, just in case those market forecasts call for a chance of showers. Weather the market where investing meets Mother Nature. Adapt, invest, and thrive. Welcome to our podcast, where we dive deep into the most compelling research and unveil the intricacies of the scientific realm. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. In today's episode, we're going to unfold the layers of a captivating paper titled The Effect of Antitrust Enforcement on Venture Capital Investments by Wenchin Zhang, dated December 22, 2023. Yes, Jen, this paper is fascinating because it's at the intersection of law, economics, and innovation. It primarily examines how antitrust enforcement shapes the landscape for venture capital investments, particularly concerning startups. For our listeners who might not be familiar, Antitrust laws are regulations that promote competition by limiting the market power of any particular firm. These laws are key to preventing monopolies and ensuring that the market is fair for new entrants. Right, Jen. The backdrop of this research is the critical role that venture capital and VC-backed startups play in the economy. They are often a springboard for innovation, competition, and economic growth. That's true. And startups are seen as vulnerable entities that are susceptible to anti-competitive tactics by established giants in the market. Think about practices like killer acquisitions, where a big company buys up a rising competitor only to shut it down. Now, let's not forget the paper's timing. It's a response to real-world events where in 2013, the Department of Justice closed several of its antitrust field offices, purportedly making enforcement of antitrust laws laxer in certain regions. The big question Wen Xinjiang probes is, how does this reduction in antitrust enforcement affect VC investment decisions and consequently the startups they back? Before we delve deeper into the core of the research, let me stress the significance of this paper. It pulls from various sources like VentureXpert, PatentsView, CompuStat, and uses an array of methods, including difference in differences, to draw its conclusions. So what does it find? Zhang discovers that the decrease in antitrust enforcement due to office closures actually led to a significant drop in venture capital investments in startups located in the impacted areas. That's not all. The affected startups not only saw diminished VC investments, 
but also faced reduced chances of successful exits, like being acquired or going public, and their innovation performance suffered as well. Interestingly, the negative aftermath was particularly pronounced for startups in concentrated industries. It's in these sectors where incumbents often wield more power, and thus potential anti-competitive behaviors are more damaging to new entrants. Precisely, and startups could potentially mitigate these adverse effects by innovating more aggressively to differentiate their products from those of the established firms, essentially trying to fly under the radar. Wrapping it up, this paper lays bare the tangible importance of local antitrust enforcement. It's not just about keeping big companies in check. It's about fostering an environment where innovation and competition can flourish through venture capital and startup growth. Indeed, Jen, this study is a call to action, highlighting the need to strengthen regional antitrust enforcement to spur venture investments, encourage competition, and drive innovation forward. Absolutely, Tom. What a thought-provoking paper reminding us of the intricate dynamics between regulation, investment, and innovation. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll unravel more fascinating research. Until next time, keep wondering, keep pondering, and remember, knowledge is power. Goodbye from Tom. And goodbye from Jen. Thanks for listening. Have you ever wished you could invest in startups without fearing the corporate Goliaths breathing down your neck? Fear no more. Introducing Antitrust Angels, the cheeky new VC firm that's reading between the lines of antitrust laws so that your startup can moonwalk to success without tripping over a monopoly. With Antitrust Angels, you'll be dodging those killer acquisitions and zipping past industry giants with the grace of a gazelle in sneakers. That's right. We've got lawyers with binoculars on the lookout so your investments can soar like an eagle in a no-fly zone without the worry of being swatted down by the corporate swatters. Founded in the wake of that groundbreaking paper, yeah, you know the one, we at Antitrust Angels specialize in pumping your visionary company with the funds it needs while keeping the big bullies at bay. So, start your engines and pitch us your idea. We're here to angelically guard your venture with holy smokes, we're good at this antitrust savvy. Tom and Antitrust Angels, where your startup's wings are Teflon-coated against the sticky fingers of industry giants. Thank you.